This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. We're in Grand Rapids again this week for the podcast, and joining me is Jeremy Kosmicki, uh, brewmaster for Founders. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. How are you doing, Jamie? Uh, we're going to talk about brewing all sorts of stuff on this issue, because or an issue. Uh, here's my magazine mind creeping into the podcast, this episode of the podcast. Uh, you all have built a juggernaut in all-day IPA, and uh, of course you built you know, touchstone beers for craft beer in, in the, the stout world. We'll talk about all of those things and the, the, you know, your approach to all of these beers. And uh, before we do that, for years, G&D Chillers has chilled the beers you love, partnering with 3,000-plus breweries across the country. They are proud of the cool partnerships they've built over the past 30 years. They know brewing doesn't stop at 5 o'clock, and nor do they. G&D uses quality components expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. With 24-7 service and support, your brewery will never stop. Remote monitor your chiller for simple and fast access to all the information you need, providing you with peace of mind. Your operation will be running smoothly. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. Also, this episode is brought to you by BSG Distributors of TNS Hop Oils. Looking for a way to save on freight, reduce waste, all while improving beer quality? Then change your brewing game with TNS Hop Oils. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn how TNS Hop Oils can make your beer and your margins better. Of course, before we start, I want to say thank you to Experience Grand Rapids for their support in making this trip possible. To plan your own beer trip to Grand Rapids, start at experiencegr.com. Com. So, Jeremy, we normally start the podcast off talking about uh, history. You've got a long history here at Founders. What's uh, what's your beer history and your brewing history look like? Okay, well, yeah, um, started home brewing like most of us. Um, sure, I think I was nineteen, going on twenty, and man, I could I could buy a kit to make my own beer right at home. Uh, the internet was a new thing at the time. Uh, ordered it all on alternative beer dot com and uh, they would sent me the everything you needed plus they would do little recipe packs so uh, an anchor porter clone was the very first one we got going there um, and man the, the the homebrews were going good so it became a pretty uh, you know obsessive passion uh, and then uh, I found myself unemployed um, from the auto detailing industry I was I was done doing that ready to move on um, came down to founders who was you know, the, the city's biggest brewery. Uh, they had been around for a few years. Biggest being a relative thing at the time. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, they had not, a... Not what it was now, what no. it is now. They had a 30-barrel yeah. brew house, oh, which yeah. is pretty big. Sure, they, sure. they were going for it, but right. they were, you know, brewing like once a week. So it was uh, <laughs> not a lot going on. But hey, uh, um, I went down and, and uh, asked the bartender if they were hiring. And she says, hold on a second, and goes in the back. And packaging packaging guy comes out. He's like, uh, can you start right now? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, I got, I got nothing going on. I was yeah. hoping to maybe uh, ground some change and get a couple beers while I'm here, but I'll come back and see what's going on. So that was it. That was my foot in the door. And then, you know, they, they paid mostly in beer, um, maybe a little scratch under the table, but I was in a position where I could manage that because, wow, I was working in a brewery and I thought that was pretty cool. So, you know, just stuck around there to just trying to pick up every odd job I could. 
Um, and sure enough, uh, a good friend of mine, one of my homebrew buddies, Nate Walser, um, had been brewing across town at, at New Holland, uh, assistant brewer over there. And, uh, and our brewer at Founders left, and their assistant left after that. So uh, Nate and I kind of took over uh, the brewing program. And, and uh, you know, Mike and Dave, uh, the owners, were like, uh, you know, make whatever you want. Just just make some good beer, make some tasty stuff. So we started reaching into the, you know, into our homebrew archives and pulling out some recipes that, that were that were fun. I mean, that's where things like uh, Breakfast Stout and, and, and Red's Rye and those kind of beers came from. Uh, so that was, you know, I, I'm living the dream at that point, right? You know, I went from unemployed, unemployed homebrewer to making recipes at Founders and just did every job in that place. Uh, and I, Nate left in 05. So I took over the brewing department then. Yeah. The rest is history. It's been a, so your sole professional brewing experience is at Founders. That's it. You've been riding it. Man, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's something. They can't get rid of me. Well, you know, there was a lot of learning on the job then, uh, popping from a homebrew kit to a uh, 30-barrel brew house. Right. <laughs> um, I, you know, I can only imagine trying to translate homebrew recipes up like that. <laughs> uh, you know, how did you start doing that kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, um, you know, we we actually, Nate designed a little, uh, kind of like a one-barrel. It was really rudimentary, but uh, it got the job done. We did a couple on that, but, you know, kind of realized that it wasn't really worth our time making that small of an amount. I mean, yeah. Those are the kind of beers that people wanted to drink, so they would sell out immediately. So we started scaling up and making stuff, you know, just for our tap room. What I really wanted to do was have a cool tap room with some selection and, and kind of make that place a destination spot. Uh, but Mike and Dave had different ideas. And then when they told me they want to start putting some of these beers into bottles, I said, what are you, crazy? Uh, no, you know, nobody wants to drink that beer out in the world, but man, it, I was wrong. <laughs> people did want it. Sure, sure. Well, and, you know, and of course, there's a whole different, like, you know, production mentality that you have to take now. Once you put it into bottles, yeah. you have to be able to think about how you're formulating <laughs> this, how how that thing is going to live, you know, in that kind of packaging. Uh, you know, how did you start solving some of those <laughs> issues in the early days? Yeah, that's uh, that's been that's been one of the hardest parts. Is well, n now when I design recipes, it's always like, is this even scalable, or should I not even do this? Because as soon as you know sales or marketing is like, Oh, we really like that. Let's do that. I'm like, Oh, you know, some of those beers, even like breakfast out, for example, yeah. it's just, it was fun when you made it like, you know, once a year or something and you know, you're having a party and everyone's it smells like chocolate and coffee and we're all excited. And, and you know, then it becomes a, when it became a production beer and you had to figure all that out and you know, it's just extra work. It's a lot That's of, a lot of chocolate a lot and of, a lot of coffee, a lot of extra steps. And, but you know, it's all worth it. You say that they just said, go make some, make some beers. Basically. There's got to be more to it than that. <laughs> there has to be more to it than that. There has to be more, some sort of direction. Uh, you, know, you, you know, and you guys had to start building an identity for, for what Founders was. You know, because it's one thing when it's a local audience that are coming to a tap room and it can just be whatever because people have an idea that Founders makes quality beer. But once you then start distributing beer, asked to connect with people in some way. Yeah. Well, I mean, when they started, you know, when I, when I joined, they had all the beers that I'm sure they were told to make back in the, you know, mid nineties, you got to have your wheat Standard beer, playbook, you got to sure. have an amber ale. So, right. um, you know, to come out with beers, you know, not like that, you know, that was, it was just, it was attention grabbing. Like people were like, wow. Um, they were different, unlike things that they were used to drinking and, you know, it was a bit of a, a select audience back then, but it grew really quick. There was a lot of people that were interested in something new, something different. So what a great opportunity to 
to try out some recipes and and, and the, the market was just ripe at the time, right? For that kind of stuff. And some of those you know, beers you still make these days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's uh, that I find that one of the coolest things that we still have some of those recipes because you know, this industry, things change so quick. Yes. Uh, the consumers just are onto something new and we try to keep up, but it's so awesome that we have um, so many like throwback things that are still, you know, not big volume beers for us, but sure. they're important for your portfolio. I like to have a round portfolio full of uh, different offerings and, and ha- have something for everybody. Hopefully. Sure, sure. And it's strange, honestly, to think of that, like, you know, what was it, the Red Riot? Is that what it is? Yeah. You know, that a beer like that is still something that you could make, which doesn't seem to hit any of the current trends or expectations <laughs> for uh, for what people are generally buying in hoppy beer. Yeah, right. But that there's just this little corner and niche for it. Yeah, that and that Red Riot in particular, that's, um, it's like... It's an employee favorite. Like you go down in the tap room and I bet half the people's uh, shift beers are our reds, right? It's just got that, it's got that cult following hmm. that people still, um, you know, they, once you get hooked on it, it's like, you gotta, you gotta have it. What do you think it is that uh, makes it so hooky? I'm not sure. It's probably a little bit sentimental. You know, yeah. I think a lot of people are like, that's the, just the nostalgia play. Yeah, the nostalgia for sure. And it's a tasty beer, you know, and it's like you said, it's not at all what uh, is is trendy at the t- at the moment but i don't know that's maybe that's what's kind of it's not crazy. what you sell a bunch of in other kinds of places right, for yeah sure. yeah <laughs> but uh, so is it really more you know locality thing where it sells really well around here or uh you know is it something that only stays in the tap room or is it still get out into some production now? Well, i tell you the truth is that we stopped putting it into package because of uh, shelf life concerns with that. Sure, beer. sure. You know, uh, you get a, a hop forward beer with yep. some crystal malt in there and they, they deter- you know, it's a shadow of itself in, exactly. in, in, in two months or something. So we switched to draft only, mainly here at our tap room, but we do have some accounts that still uh, do draft of it. So that way you can keep a closer eye on it and it won't, yeah. it won't age out. Know that, that it's going to stay cold. You know, generally kegs stay in the cooler, whereas right. if you got, you know, six pack and they're, they're going to end up on the warm shelf in most places. Sure, sure. Well, I want to talk about, let's talk about some of the evolutions of some of these beers because I think that's another interesting thing. Like, you know, yes, you're making breakfast stout now, but I imagine it's gone through some changes over the years, just as the way that everyone brews IPA has now, you know, gone through a number of changes over the years. And yes, they might be the same brands, you know, but everything gets a little bit of a nip and a tuck and a, you know, a little, uh, you know, a fresh approach, especially. And, and of course, beer is also an agricultural product, um, you know, changes from year to year. All of these inputs and ingredients have been changing over that. So let's talk a little bit about some of that evolution. Before we do that, AccuBrew is a new analytical tool unlike anything else on the market that gives brewers like you unprecedented insight into your fermentation process. You can remotely monitor sugar conversion, temperature, and clarity to ensure consistency by quickly detecting out-of-range conditions. The AccuBrew system creates and stores permanent records so you can compare every batch. AccuBrew goes beyond a simple measurement tool. AccuBrew helps you monitor, document, and manage your fermentation process in real time. Also at ProBrew, they believe that your brewery deserves equipment as unique as the drinks that you craft. That's why their solutions are specifically designed to help you brew your beer, not someone else's. From brewing to fermenting to carbonating and can filling, ProBrew's customizable equipment empowers breweries to expand operations at their own pace. For more information, visit www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. ProBrew brew your beer. And if you're Old Orchard mentioned in the uh, brewing community, don't be surprised. 
The flavored craft juice concentrate blends from Old Orchard have shipped to over 46 states from right here in Beer City, USA. Their new brewing customers often mention discovering Old Orchard through word-of-mouth recommendation of another brewer. To join the core of Old Orchard's brewing community, learn more at oldorchard.com slash brewer. So let's talk about that change. If you're kind of, you know, putting on your uh, early brewer hat and we're to look at how that beer has made some changes over the years, uh, you know, are there any key points that, you know, where, you know, you made some tweaks and, to, you know, to keep it fresh or to to take it to where you wanted it to, to be given the current context? You know, I'll be honest, uh, most of those original beers are pretty true to their to their original recipes. You know, we just, <laughs> you're just disproving my theory here. Ah, <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> yeah. When, yeah. uh, when, when you need, when you need something new and the industry changes, we, we have been just making new products. So, uh, beers like Porter breakfast out, uh, even Centennial IPA. I mean, those are, those are pretty true to, to what they, you know, what they were originally. Um, you know, you make some tweaks, you, 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 you do things to improve your efficiency. Um, you find better prices on some things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, with breakfast out in particular, we've been through a couple different, uh, uh, chocolate sources. Um, you know, had to switch up some, some coffees due to, you know, it's a commodity, right? It's, uh, it's got supply and cost issues. So you stay on top of that, but you know, all our, all of our vendors and, and our partners are, are helpful in that and helping us find, you know, suitable replacements and, mm-hmm. um, and, and then working through that and then, you know, we'll do the R and D and, um, stay on top of that. I, I, I drink the beers regularly and make sure they're all, yeah. uh, uh, true to, true to brand and, Quality yeah. control. Lots of quality. You got to do the quality control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any beers that have changed over that kind of time? Let me think. Uh, hmm. What are we still making? Dirty Bastard. That's all the same. I don't know. I <laughs> I feel like once, once I get something dialed in, I kind of leave it. And if, you know, the industry demands something new, uh, I go for that. You know, I I avoided the hazy game as long as I could. Um, and then... Um, so, so that's still relatively. Why'd you, why'd you avoid it? I don't like them. No. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've come a long way, but when they first came out, I was, I thought they were an abomination and oh. uh, I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I like, uh, I like my beer, um, clean and pretty and, um, you know, refined and professional looking. And I just thought they were ridiculous. <laughs> But, you know, but you came around. I had to. I mean, I well, part of the other problem was I've seen so many trends come and go and right. and, and a brewery of our size cannot just chase every trend that comes. So I've been, you know, you know, forcefully trying to not jump into things that are going to be dead here in, in, in a year or two because it's just a waste of our time. But uh, the hazies lasted much longer than I anticipated originally. And at least it's beer and yeah. not, and not oh seltzer. My, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although now it looks like people uh, not jumping on the seltzer train may have been, a, a you know, in retrospect, a decent move. <laughs> yeah. Well, that whole thing seems to be going a strange direction. You know, one of the thing, one of the hits you all did have, uh, you know, was in the, the session beer space and especially the hoppy kind of session beer with all day. Um, you know, that one seemed to, and you all seem to be on the very front end of that, but brewing a beer like that can be, a hard enterprise that uh, capturing, you know, a beer in that kind of 4% ABV range that also has body that also, you know, has a compelling hop character. You know, it's not an easy nut to crack from a brewing perspective. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, solving. And of course you've, you've expanded that family and have all day IPA and a hazy all, all day IPA, you know, even a black 
you know, uh, IPA all day, you know, variation, which is it's a little crazy <laughs> that uh, I, I would not have suspected that there was a market for, uh, you know, that beer. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, other than me, right. I, I might be the target market for that <laughs> one. Um, you know, talk to me about going through the, you know, the development process, you know, for brewing this, you know, very low ABV, you know, hoppy beer. Yeah, most most difficult uh, recipe I ever had to design. For I sure. bet it is. Yeah, I, uh, I spent a long time on it. Um, you know, fortunately back then uh, there was no gun to the head about get this done. We're looking at you know I got a May release on this beer. Uh, it wasn't like that. It was uh, it was kind of just we all needed that beer. We we all loved hops here. I'm talking about us working here. Sure. Um, but man, our 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 our, our regular IPA, Centennial IPA, is almost seven and a half percent alcohol. So that was it was not a productive thing to have one of those at lunch and then, you know, get back to work and all day was brewed out of necessity. You know, we had our lightest beer. Well, cause we, we, we cut our teeth on these, these bigger, higher alcohol, massive flavor beers. So it was quite a departure to, to get back uh, or to go to something light. We had a beer in our tap room, brewed exclusively for our tap room at the time. It was solid gold. And it was before it was um, the lager. It was just a gold nail. And we, we only had that because people would come to our tap room and be like, uh, can I get a Bud Light? Right. <laughs> be like, well, <laughs> no, but here, try this. Uh, so the thought was, could, could we take that mentality of a light, easy drinking beer, but, but brew it to taste like us hopheads wanted it to taste like. So that was where it started. Um, but man, I did a lot, a lot of versions of that just to, it's hard. I had a lot to learn about how to keep that body in there. Um, don't overdo that bitterness, but still have, you know, hot presence that, that you wanted. So, um, but you know, when I finally did land on the recipe that, that it is, we all knew at that point, it was like, that's it. That's the one. And at least for us, we had no sure, idea that sure. it was going to grow to what it was. It started as a, it was going to be our summer seasonal and you got through the summer and it was just on fire and we're like, okay, we can't stop making it. So it became a year round thing. And I think it was still glass then even. And when we switched to cans and then the 15 pack and it was just, everything came together right, right, right beer at the right time. And that 15 pack of all day is now what everyone, everyone up here in the upper Midwest chases, you yeah, know? Right. Um, and it's now the reference, like, I don't know, how do I compete with, you know, 15 pack of all day IPA? I hear it over and over again from other, others here in the industry. But I'm, I'm curious about that. Like, you know, there's a lot of ways to, to you know, build that body. Um, you can't leave residual, a lot of residual sugar in there, you know, because it's such a small beer. Uh, and, you know, people also especially if they're drinking a small beer needed to be that light. Um, you know, are you solving that then through, you know, water, through, you know, yeast that's, uh, you know, producing some other, you know, metabolizing some other, uh, you know, compounds that then add some heft to it. Uh, you know, how, how are some of the ways that you solve for body in a beer that small? Yeah. I, you know, you can't just put crystal malt in there to, to, right. to balance that sweetness. So what I, what I go for is, is more of an, an implied sweetness, more of a, you know, it, it's it's adjuncts I think that that really give that some, some mouthfeel without yeah. that, that cloying uh, sweetness that is not appropriate. So you know this thing's packed with uh, oats and wheat and corn mm. and and, and uh, it's it's a pretty complex malt bill actually for as you know simple of, of a beer as it sure. is. Uh, so I, and part of the reason it took so long to dial in was really getting that right. But um, I believe that you know. Heavy, heavy on those adjuncts. Although it it terminates at a a, a nice low drinkable level, it, something about it, it doesn't get too dry uh, on the palate. So, uh, where is it? You know about where it finishes? 
It's two, two, two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So a nice streak of blow. Is there anything to the the way you, you know treat water in this that helps uh, support that feeling of body? No, uh, I you know it gets calcium chloride and calcium sulfate and yeah. uh, Michigan right here in Grand Rapids in particular our our water is the municipal water comes from Lake Michigan so it's uh, really stable um, consistent uh, it's got a great mineral count so we're we're kind of blessed like that that I don't have to mess with the water all yeah. that much yep. sure sure. Um, how about, you know, hops and something like that? Uh, you know, again, making a nuanced hop selection so that they can fit together and, and you know, be pleasant, uh, you know, but also, you know, there's also a physical component, you know, as we know that, you know, hops can actually add to the texture itself in some ways. They, they can be more functional and not just flavor driven. Yeah. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, how you build hop bill and something that light. Sure. Well, I, 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 I stuff hops in this thing in every step that I can. Um, you know, that was, uh, I, I wanted to find ways to, to get that hop character in there without uh, affecting the bitterness too much. So, uh, this, this beer gets hops in the mash. Um, I start first wort hopping with this thing. Um, and of course big, uh, you know, late charges and then a nice, uh, warm dry hop. Um, uh, and some of those early charges, I'm actually using a really low alpha uh, variety so that I can kind of use more of them, mm. get some of that flavor and character in there without, you know, jacking up the beef. Without the, yeah, yeah. Why well, mash hop, uh, you know, something like this? I mean, you know, if you're not, you're not using a thiol focused yeast, which would be my, you know, normal mash hop now, re, you know, regimen. Right. Why, uh, why go to extra trouble around that? You know, I think that it, it's, to me, it just when you taste when you taste the wort going to the kettle, it's there. You can you, you can taste that it has it has made its impression on the wort itself. So, you know, there's a lot of debate about uh, does it do anything at all. Um, I don't know. And and, and to, to be honest, I haven't brewed all day without the mashups and with the mashups. Did the side by side. It's just it is what it is. And I think that everything, um, every little bit of nuance that you can put into such a light beer like this um, is worth it. And it does carry through even, you know, as you go through this, because now you're, you know, you're running it through this hot side process, adding more in there. You mm-hmm. know, you, you think you can really, you know, catch the layer that it adds to it. Yeah, I think it's nuanced for sure. But, um, yeah. you know, that, that, that beer to me has a, a really nice round, um, pleasant hop character that's, mm-hmm. you know, more than just bittering and, and, and aroma, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And whirlpool hops in that one too. Mm-hmm. Yep. gets a decent whirlpool charge. Um, you know, the, the, the featured hops in this beer were two of the, at the time, the two of the coolest hops I could get my hands on, um, Simcoe and Amarillo. Yeah. Um, and you know, even to this day, Simcoe is probably, probably my favorite variety. Why? I love the, the, the combination of, um, pine and a little bit of pineapple. Um, to me, it's just, it's classic, classic enough, um, with some, you know, more of a modern twist, but they don't ever get to, uh, you know, too pungent for me. Um, now we do select all our hops too. So you do see quite a, you can see quite the, the range uh, inspect them and you know, when they get picked and they can get pretty catty and whatnot. But, sure. you know, we, the ones that we are selecting are the know, volume you all buy at puts you pretty high up there on the list yeah, for that. For sure. So they'll, uh, they'll let us pick them. In fact, they, we've been doing it so long that they, they do a great pre-selection for us because yeah. at that volume, you can't, you sure. can't taste it, sure. check out every lot. So, but our vendors are, you know, that's, that's the importance of, of, of establishing relationships with your vendors and, and working with them and, you know, trusting that they're going to take care of you too. How's that work? You just, uh, you know, create a, a general 
kind of, you know, spec rundown with, uh, you know, the certain levels of, of certain things that you're looking for in a kind of a broader sense. Yeah. Yeah. You try, you know, and, and when you work with the same people over time, you know, they get an idea. There's other vendors that are, um, you know, really committed to figuring that out, even to the point of we have one vendor who uses a uh, GC yeah. to, to measure the hops that you, that you've been selecting and, and, you know, matching it up and be like, Hey, you like these kind of hops. Here you go. <laughs> they can profile you and yeah. then match right. that against what they have. Exactly. Know how to not put things in front of you that uh, might be too far out of, out of that general range. Yeah. Exactly. It's interesting to see where that, that technology goes. Of course, that's, that's some expensive stuff to do to right. you know test all of the lots that way. And, and get it there. So you have to, you know, you have to have a large customer that uh, is buying a lot of that in order to, to make that all make sense. Now that that's interesting. You know, are there you know specific things that you look for? You know, as you you know pick those, uh, either from a sensory or from a you know from a uh, you know compound you know kind of threshold level. Well, um, I'm just looking for aromas, really. And okay. um, we have uh, obviously specs of of what we traditionally uh, have. Uh, you know, chosen. Uh, we run our hops through sensory panel so that we have, you know, uh, sensory notes on, on what we're looking for. Um, so that, that guides us, but when it comes down to it, it's like, you can tell like this, this lot just, it just smells really good. Yeah. This one's good too, but this one's better. And let's make sure we get this one in there. And so it can be just a better and, and just that kind of, you know, pleasure hedonic kind of judgment. And the nice thing is when they do that pre-selection and everything is pretty close yeah. then you're just like, this, yeah. it's, this one smells better. So how do you, you know, you know, for a, a business's size, imagine you're doing that with multiple people, you know, and, uh, you know, and working together as a team, how do you, you know, share some of these ideas and build some of these ideas of spec and quality and, and what, what it should be, and then, you know, communicate and translate that across the entire team that's working on this. Well, uh, just some organization and the, and the team, the team that, that handles that is, is, is a bit condensed. Yeah. You know, we're, uh, there's half a dozen of us that, you know, regularly go out to Yakima during harvest and uh, participate in that. Um, so it's, it's kind of a small team. Um, it's, it's a lot to bite off. Uh, you know, you can, you can easily burn out your, your senses, uh, sure. you're trying to get through too many at a time and it can be exhausting, but it's, it's one of my favorites. You don't uh, do yourself any favors at sports center or, uh, <laughs> the other spots uh, later the sports the center. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a great trip though. And it's, and it's one of the most important things I think we can do, um, is, you know, be involved in the raw materials and make sure you're getting the best. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, and then build those relationships too. So again, that, uh, you know, the, the agricultural side counts on the beer side and, uh, you know, our investment in that allows them to make the investments that help improve quality for what we do. Yeah. Especially the hop guys. It's been fun growing with them, you know, because mm -hmm. before craft brewing, it was probably not very exciting for them. Right. It's a actually amazing and incredible view. Like in just ten years, how many acres you know have been added to agricultural production in the in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, you know, I think it's almost double the acres now that are growing hops compared to what they were ten years ago. And and so I mean, like that is such a fundamental change. If you look at the value of the crop, it's gone from you know I think a hundred and eighty million a year to over six hundred million a year now. I mean, that's a phenomenal increase for, for a crop like that. Are there any other tricks or secrets, you know, to all day IPA, uh, you know, that you think help just make that low ABV approach to hoppy beer really work? 
That yeah, that that about sums it up. Big adjuncts, get get your hops in and in, in, in lots of different spots. Try not to overdo it. And I've kind of taken and a that, warm dry hop. Yes, definitely get your hops in there. Uh, you know, before before biotransformation was the catchword. You know, we just we did it because it just tasted better. You could tell if you get them in there early enough uh, while there's still activity. It just seems like you get better extraction and a different extraction. You know, we had beers that we cold dry hopped uh, for a while, and it's just, just, just no, there's no, uh, there's no comparison. So you are dry hopping all day IPA while there's still fermentation happening. Indeed, that's cr- at this Man. scale. Yeah, <laughs> you know, how do you manage yeast through something <laughs> like that if you've got hops in there with it? Yeah, we had to uh, uh, start a propagation system. Yeah, we were harvesting for a while and trying to, you know get it before the dry hop and it was just it was difficult and now that now that we prop regularly uh yeah that's smooth sailing okay that's cool and a little crazy to do to do that at that scale but (laughs) uh but kind of fun and interesting to think about which now of course makes sense the way you might mash hop also because uh it creates some persistent stuff that the yeast can also continue to work on there through that sure interesting interesting and you just do that with a you know more kind of standard you know clean California ale yeast, or is there, uh, you know, some other way that you, you take fermentation with it? Yeah. Our house ale yeast is, uh, is, is yeah. American ale yeast. Okay. Um, you know, we've, we've had the same, uh, um, in-house strain that we've been, you know, it, it, at this point it's, it's pretty custom because we've been selecting the, the, the cells that, that we want. So yeah. it's kind of turned into its, uh, its own thing and, and we love it, but it's, it's clean, it's neutral, um, for the kind of beers that, that I was making, especially back in the day, that's what I wanted get, get, you get the yeast in there to let it do its thing and, and then get out of the way and let the, let the malt and the hops do the talking. So, yeah. um, and also, you know, in back in the day to have one yeast strain to manage was, uh, was, was enough. Um, now that we have, you know, more dedication to the yeast department and I feel better about, you know, managing a couple more strains. Sure. Sure. Well, I want to talk about extending that all day range into the hazy side as well as the black IPA side, which, uh, again, I, I'm just excited about the idea that you have a black all day IPA. That's so cool. Um, before we do that from the rotatable pickup tube on rogue brewings, pilot brew house to the integrated hot backs on Sierra Nevada's twin prototyping brew houses, SS Brewtech has taken technology. They invented working with world renowned industry veterans, and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS Brewtech's innovation list, head on over to ssbrewtech.com. Also 100% recycled, 100% recyclable, and reusable. PackTech handles are the sustainable solution to handle your craft beer. PackTech has been a leading producer of secondary packaging for the craft beer industry for over 30 years, and their handles are found across the globe. By fully embracing the principles of circular economy, PackTech helps customers meet their own ambitious, sustainable goals. 100% recycled, 100% recyclable, and reusable. PackTech is the sustainable packaging solution for your craft beer. Order your free samples today. Call 541-461-5000. That's 541-461-5000. And of course, tell them you heard it here on the Craft Beer and Bring podcast. And Berkeley Yeast, the creators of Tropics Yeast which provides massive notes of guava and passion fruit, now bring you Thiol Boost. Berkeley Yeast's Thiol Boost is pure liquid thiol precursors that take tropics to the next level. Add it to the fermenter when you pitch the yeast 
and prepare yourself for tropical fruit nirvana. The concentration of precursors is the same in every batch of Thiol Boost, so you can predictably tune the level of tropical flavor by adjusting the dosage. Mention this podcast, get 15% off your next order. Berkeley yeast, ordinary yeast made extraordinary. So let's talk about how you, uh, you know, then turn around and take a brand like all day, which is a juggernaut, you know, a, a powerhouse of a brand and certainly something that, uh, you can't screw up and, uh, you know, make hazy iteration of it. Uh, you know, what changes in that process? Making hazy beers was 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 different. I had to. Un- yeah, you didn't want to make. Well, it. and I had to unlearn everything and and, yeah. and go about it kind of backwards, you know, uh, to keep that haze in there and keep the haze stable. Uh, I think when when hazy started and it was you know it was little nano breweries and 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 larger, but mostly come to my brewery and get this hazy we're releasing today, and then go home and drink it. Um, man, I I knew I had to send this thing all over the country, and and it has to be stable. I can't have it dropping out in the cans. So, um, you know, making a stable haze was uh, you know a, a bit of a challenge, but. Uh, we figured we've just store the can upside down and turn it over <laughs> before you drink right, it. Right. Exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm happy where it landed. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not a thick mucky hazy, sure, but sure. you know, it's there. And, and now I do, I do believe that, uh, uh having, having those proteins, uh, in suspension and giving something for those, uh, hop oils and whatnot to latch on to creates a, a more intense and longer lasting aroma. So there's, I believe there is some scientific truth behind it. It doesn't, it's not just, not just an appearance thing. So, um, so taking the tricks we, we had learned for that, um, of course I had to, you're already brewing with a lot of, uh, you know, other things, uh, you know, the regular all day. And so it seems like you weren't that far off from uh, what would be possible, uh, you know, to start with, um, switch to, uh, uh, um, um, a better yeast strain, a more applicable, more uh, haze positive haze, yeast strain. Haze so positive, yeah. Um, so we did that. Uh, what else? I got uh, took some, took some of the adjuncts out, um, ramped up some of the other ones. You know, made sure the oats and the wheat were you know, a little more dominant there. Uh, and then I had to get some, I had to get some citra hops in there, of course, right? Because you can't make a hazy if you don't have some citra hops on hand. Um, I had kind of missed, I had kind of missed out on citra back in the day. Citra was actually. Um, I had gotten really deep into Amarillo and then Simcoe and then, uh, and I had Mosaic going too. And it was like, I just couldn't handle another hop variety in my portfolio. Um, so I kind of skipped the Citra for a while. Um, but then, so I'm new, I'm new to the Citra game too, just, wow. just in the last, wow. last few years. Um, so it's fun. Um, it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a bit aggressive. I like it as a, uh, a, 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 a Addition to the dry hop, not necessarily the whole thing, but I think, you know, you get 25% citrus in there and you're going to make all the other ones kind of pop more. Mm. Um, so this does have uh, some citrus in the dry hop. Um, and yeah, that that's about it. That's that's kind of what we did to hazify it. Switched up yeast. You know, what would, would, you know, could you tell me where you ended up on that or is that a proprietary? I secret? mean, it's, it's a London strain. Yeah. Man. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, when you think about making, you know, building that beer, you know, so that it can be shelf stable and, you know, when it eventually gets shipped across the country and sits out, you know, warm for a little while in a store, it doesn't just get completely shattered. You know, what are, you know, some of the other, you know, are there any other production concerns that, that fit or considerations, you know, that figure into your process to, to make, you know, give that life? I mean, I think, you know, in a realistic sense, there is something, 
you know, that you all, that folks like Sierra Nevada, you know, being able to make a hazy beer and make it stable in all of, you know, this wide range of potential retail scenarios, you know, it's, it's, its own feat in addition mm-hmm. to coming up with a good and compelling recipe. Yeah. I mean, it, really just on the quality side, w- watching those TPOs, uh, every step, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, thankfully we've, we've got the infrastructure to invest in, in, in the best packaging equipment because that's really where you're going to screw your beer up. Right. You know, it, Brewers tend to get a little too uh, concerned about, you know, the kettle and even fermentation. But but then if you don't invest, you know, in some good packaging, yeah, all your hard work is going to go to waste. So, uh, you know, fortunately, we have we have that we have, uh, um, uh, you know, round the clock quality coverage and checking the beer every step of the way. Uh, so it makes me feel good about what we send out. You know, but the truth is, it's a hoppy beer, and if it sits on the warm shelf, it's 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 going to deteriorate. That's yeah. just that's that's our lives right now. The lightest, lightest possible, um, you know, malt that you can use in it, so that it, right. it stays that that nice light color. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is is that a, a two row or it's our two row house malt basically? Sure. Yeah. Yep. Sure. You haven't gone Pilsner malt on that, have you? No, I can't. <laughs> I can't afford that. <laughs> Sure. Well, how about how about this, you know, all day black IPA, which, uh, you know, I, th- I think is is fascinating. And I love that, uh, you know, that you would uh, you know play in that kind of <laughs> realm. And, you know, because it's not as if black IPA is the style, although I, I think it's coming back a little bit. <laughs> I hope so. It's been kind of nice to, to see it. Uh, you know, we're we're actually in the midst of our, our annual IPA issue now. And we've received quite a few black IPAs, oh, uh, wow. you know, for the for the IPA issue. Yeah, it's it's a fun style. It's something we've been working on for for years. Um, you know, when well, when you had all day IPA, then all night IPA seemed the the logical thing to have. Also, so yeah. I thought that should be a black beer. Um, it's fun. That was another one that's uh, um, difficult to get the to get the balance right on. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to make it hop forward enough, not you know, and have that uh, you know hints of 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 dark malt but not you know not obviously not portery or stouty you want you want to feature those hops and have the mouth feel be light and uh what you would expect and and of course you know had to make it sessionable too mm-hmm. uh, to to fit in the in the the all-day family but you know that's just we're just having some fun in the tap room we i've done a cup let's see what else did i do i had a uh a, a, a cold ipa that we did last uh, uh, last winter, um, the, the chill day, uh, that came out real nice. That's fun. I, I, I love, um, lager yeast and, and, and heavy hop doses. I think, yeah. that, I think that they play real nice together and I think that it holds up better too over the long term. I, I think that beer degrades, uh, more slowly than, than our ales. Hmm. Um, I don't know the science behind it, but that's, yeah. uh, that's one that I don't mind drinking, you know, three, four months after, after package. Um, and then I got, we've got a, a West Coast uh, version coming out too, so we're just you know trying to hit all the uh, all the genres of IPA and and see if we can't do a, a nice session version and yeah, cool, cool. Well, maybe we you know switch gears and talk about uh, barrel aging sure. at this point. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know the KBS family you know, is a, a well known one amongst you know across the beer world. Um, you all also do barrel aged versions of your Scottish ale. Uh, you do all sorts of barrel aged. You put a lot of beers, <laughs> a lot of beers, and in, into into barrels. You know, talk to me about the the genesis of that program, and uh, you know what you have found. You know, in terms of especially with something like uh, you know turning breakfast out into KBS and brewing 
four barrels, you know, how that has impacted, uh, you know, some of your approach to brewing those beers. Yeah. Uh, it's just been a lot of, a lot, lot of trial and error. Um, like you said, we started, you know, breakfast out going into bourbon barrels eventually became the first KBS. Um, all just experimenting, um, trying to, trying to see what it does and, and how to make it better. So, you know, we made some adjustments to that breakfast out recipe when, when we wanted to do KBS for real, it needed more malt. It needed more coffee and more chocolate. All those, uh, all those nice, uh, characters kind of diminish over the, the year in the barrel. So, um, so everything just came up. Yes. Everything had to come up to, to, to handle the, the, the year that we, that we give it in the wood, um, including ABV, including ABV. Yep. Uh, so that was the first, and then, well, that was so fun. We did put Dirty Bastard in into barrels as the next one, and that that came out uh, pretty amazing. That one actually didn't have to do anything to. Mm. Um, and then uh, there's Backwoods Bastard, and 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 that kind of started a trend of me just trying virtually any beer that sounded fun in a barrel, and kind of grew that that program into, uh, you know, uh, once again, it's it's trying to keep some some variety out there, keep the people interested. They want to see what's new. Um, and shit, we built a whole facility to handle barrel aging, um, and, and, and the handling of the barrels. So, you know, we're equipped to do it. So let's, uh, we'll make some barrel aged beers and get them out there. You built a whole facility. We did the barrel house. Yes. It's, uh, um, it, it's, it's, it includes a lot of our warehouse space. In fact, mm-hmm. most of our warehouse space, but at this point it's also, uh, where we can, we have the space to fill and empty and, and, uh, move barrels around, uh, because that's one of the things we just keep running out of room for, for handling barrels and existing facilities. So it was nice to just kind of dedicate a space to it and be like, this is where we're going to do it. We're going to make it work here. We'll, we'll install, you know, things that will help in the process and, um, yeah, make it easy, as easy as we can on ourselves. Now, the world of, of barrel-aged stout has also been going through its own interesting changes. You know, I almost equate it to, you know, like movements in the the wine world where, you know, you can see things, you know, the trends change, you know, over several years, the expectations of body, less body, thick, bold versus more soft and nuanced. You know, the same kind of movements are happening in that world as also happen in the, the stout world. Yeah, and in this barrel-aged style world, you have, you know, those certain beers that are, you know, become traded and collected and shared only in one-ounce samples amongst friends in big bottle shares, or you have, you know, a different model where, you know, other breweries are trying to find ways of, you know, putting barrel-aged beers out there at a price point where people can feel comfortable, you know, drinking one by themselves in a smaller format or a 12 ounce bottle instead of a, a 750, uh, you know, and there's this, this big broad range, but that, you know, it, it's interesting how the consumption mode impacts the approach to brewing and everything else. Um, you know, how have you all responded, you know, to some of these, this changing context for barrel aged beer? Yeah, we've been through some, some pack, pack size changes. I think that uh, uh, the big bottles, the seven fifties were, were hot for a while there was you, like you said, it's something you share with your friends. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, people seem to be, you know, they gravitate more towards, um, the 12 ounce and, and I get it too. I would rather have a four pack drink one now, give one to a friend, save one, see what happens. And, uh, uh, so the the thing about KBS too is uh you know I got another recipe that I haven't really done anything to it's just kind of a, a bit of a benchmark for 
you know, where, where barrel aged beer began. And, you know, there's, there's a lot more extreme barrel aged beers out there at this point, but I, I like, I like KBS for its, its balance for its, um, you know, it's, it's a bit sophisticated in that it's, um, you know, it's not, it's not going to club you over the head with, with, with any particular flavor, but there's a lot going on. And then there's a lot of things that have to dance around with each other. And, um, I, I I think it's dialed in pretty good for, for, you know, having good body, but not, you know, not motor oil and, um, you know, having uh, plenty of uh, coffee character, but, you know, not to the point where it's, you know, it gets accurate and astringent. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's fun. It's been, it's been a fun base. And, and of course now we're, we're, we're doing variants of that as well. And, um, again, just trying to keep, trying to keep the consumer engaged and, uh, and interested and, you know, hopefully, uh, as you try these variants, uh, and you'll, you'll remember to buy regular KBS too. How do you, how do you balance some of those things? You know, that, that obviously that, that acrid or ashy kind of character, uh, that can pop up, you know, whether it's from coffee or from, uh, significant amounts of roasted malt, you know, can, can set this off in a different way. Um, you know, balancing the kind of sweetness to bitterness, you know, with all of these other you know pieces going on, you know, especially with, with anything in a bar- bourbon barrel, like it has to have some sweetness. And if it doesn't, then the bourbon barrel is going to add a, just a harsh tannic character that's sure. really unpleasant. And so sweetness is really is, is necessary to go along with that. How, what are some of those kind of key points as you, as you're building balance amongst those things? Yeah. Well, like you said, um, you know, some body, definitely start with some body that, that will thin out in the barrel. Um, you use your specialty grains, mash temperature, uh, adjuncts again are, are a big thing. You know, there's a lot of oats there going on in KBS. Uh, the, the chocolate helps with, uh, some, some implied sweetness, you know, uh, that chocolate's all fermented out, but something, what, what it leaves behind and then that character. Um, and then the, you know, the use of the coffee is, uh, there's a lot of different ways to get coffee into a beer. Um, we, we still just, uh, we're, we're steeping coarse grounds in, in the cold side, um, you know, up to a week, I think is, uh, appropriate. Really? That long? Mm-hmm. A week? Up to a week. I think we started yeah. a week and have been able to scale back. Um, you know, it reached a saturation point and then, yeah. you know, if you let it go too long, you'll, you'll, you'll get some. And you get your green pepper. Get and some green pepper. Isn't that right. weird? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is funny, but it, it does happen. It totally does. Are there, you know, some coffee varieties that are better at, uh, you know, keeping you away from that than others? I, I think so. I mean, we, uh, we work a week with, sounds like a long time. I mean, I know there are a lot of brewers that would never like, you know, past 24 hours, they want it off coffee. And then now there's a lot of folks that are just, you know, whole bean, not even grinding it yeah. in order to try to, you know, keep it super minimal and avoid that coffee character. Yeah. I, I don't know. I like that would the, be a uh, very inefficient process for the volume that you guys make. So. Right. Exactly. You got to think about that too. And, um, you know, and then there's, there's a lot, there's so many different ways, you know, people recirculating, mm-hmm. people making, uh, you know, cold brew basically cold right. brew. Um, but we found a, we found a thing that works and, uh, at this point it's still manageable. I mean, it's, it's a lot of extra work for our seller team, but and I think no matter what you do is going to be work. So at this point you, you, you go with what, what, what works for the beer. And, and like I said, I, I don't, I'm not looking to fix it. And even with these old recipes is, is what it is. And, and I think that it's still good and, and people love, uh, our coffee beers. Uh, we work with a local, uh, roaster who has been super helpful. Uh, and you asked, you know, you asked about, uh, uh, varieties and, and whatnot. I'm, I'm not a coffee expert myself, so mm-hmm. I, I lean on these guys a lot to uh, kind of help me. And if I can tell them 
generally what I'm doing with it, what I'm going for, what the kind of beer is. Uh, they've been great about, um, you know, helping me through it. You know, they're the experts there and I, and I trust them and I do a lot of tastings with them and whatnot, but you know, I just, it's, it's different for me. It's, um, I don't, I, I'm, I'm getting better, but picking out the, the nuances, uh, you really got to sit down and, and, and dig into it to, 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 to kind of see where, uh, so many subtle changes, whether it's the bean or the roast level, um, but they've been great about customizing and working with us on that stuff. You know, do they roast it in any you know particular way? There's also, you know, maybe a bit of nuttiness to the coffee character that, it, you know, which adds a nice dimension to the beer. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, we can just, I, they're drum roasting and, and, um, you can, it could be more or less roasted. I think generally they go for a, a lesser roast on most of their coffees mm-hmm. cause because uh, they're know, coffee people. Well, they're coffee people. That's yeah. what they want. You know, my yeah. my wife drinks the uh, the darkest French roast she can get her hands on because that's what she wants. Um, so she doesn't love their coffee. But you know, uh, but they'll do whatever. If if I sure. want them to roast it more, they'll roast it more, and I'll get some more of that that burnt character out of it. Yeah. But um, they've been great. It's funny how the, all the coffee roasters these days want it light and yeah. berry, and uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, capture all the nuance of that and don't destroy it exactly. with a, with a hefty roast. <laughs> Well, let's talk, you know, what's, what's on the horizon for you? You know, obviously you are, have to constantly engage in R and D you brew new beers, putting them out here in the tap room, testing them out, seeing what people respond to, you know, working out some ideas and, and things, uh, you know, what, uh, what's some of that R and D process look like for you all? And, uh, what do you, you, you know, you mentioned you like lager yeast and hoppy beers. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, are there other things that you all are working on, you know, through that process to, to try to, to lock down? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's it's a bit divided um, our attentions. There, there's a lot of uh, our vendors are doing a lot of uh, innovating themselves with uh, with raw materials. Uh, a lot of new hop um hop forms, I think, to check out. Um, that that avenue is growing really fast. And, you know, there's always been different, um, you know, uh, ways to to extract hops. And, and this will, you know, use this for bitterness, use this for head retention, use this here. Uh, we've been using uh, hop extracts for a long time. Mm-hmm. I love the CO2 extract. I love the clean bitterness you get out of it. Um, I love the way it's shelf stable and, yeah. and, uh, and will last much longer. Um, so we incorporate a lot of those now. And also inexpensive, less expensive to ship because it's so concentrated, yeah. takes up way less space. Mm-hmm. Don't have to keep it in the cooler. Um, so w- we love those hop extracts. Uh, of course, still using Are there t- specific ones that you really love. We've actually extracted quite a few of our varieties mm. and anything, you know, early to mid to almost to mid late boil, we can, we'll get away with using extract, save our T nineties for, mm-hmm. you know, whirlpool charges. And of course, dry hops, um, getting, you know, getting into the, the lupulin powders. Um, and those have been, you know, we found success with those in the dry hop and, you know, there's, there's plenty of other downstream products. I think the Holy grail right now, everyone's looking for is something, a cold side aroma product, something water soluble that you can, you know, uh, mix in after the fact and get that yeah. get that hop aroma. Spectrum, so, I think that's the, Spectrum's yeah. a new one from Haas. Um, so I have some samples of that. I got to work through. Um, so you know, trying to keep up with that. Trying Although to some of what I've you know what we've been talking about. Like, you know, there's the other fun part uh, where we've got folks like Kelsey at North Park that are 
use things off off the uh, recommended uh, menu for using it. Well, of course they will. They're brewers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Find, finding the creative ways. Are there any other creative off-menu things you guys have been doing? Um, you know, I, I just got myself a little one-barrel system uh, so I can actually uh, actually have a, a, a pilot system now before I brew everything on the 30-barrel. Um, and it's great. It's a great size for our tap back room. Back to the one-barrel system again, <laughs> huh? Everything comes back around. So uh, this will actually allow me to kind of work through some ideas a little quicker um, when you're brewing 30 barrels at a time like one 30 barrel batch is great for our tap room they'll, yeah. they'll drink that up yeah. in in a month or maybe two uh, but if i if i brew something i'm like okay i want to make a slight change to it i certainly don't need another 50 60 kegs of it so what this is going to allow me to do is to kind of work through the recipe get it dialed in before i start scaling it you know what probably at first on the 30 and then up to the 80 and then to the 300 but this gives me a little more it takes the pressure off a little bit and lets me, uh, you know, really get things dialed in without worrying about what am I going to do with all this beer. So that and also just, you know, doing some different stuff. I think right now, you know, we talked about lagers a little bit, but I, I've kind of got a real um, bug up my ass to figure out. I mean, I've been an ale brewer most of my sure, life, so sure. I got a lot to learn and I got a lot of stuff to try. I really want to kind of dial in my game on that. This will That's probably what I'll spend a lot of time doing on that one barrel. And, um, you know, a lager like, on a one barrel, right? Man, uh, lagers are hot. Lagers, lagers are hot, at least with with brewers right now. I don't know <laughs> that the consumer is caught up uh, in their passion uh, to us, but I know we all want to, um, you know, it, get, get back to that. I don't know that IPA is hot because brewers got excited about it. Yeah. You know, well, now we're kind of like maybe getting over it a little bit. To right. But where, I'm just saying, you know, I think brewers drive a lot of these trends. And so, uh, you know, the interest in lagers, well, you know, yeah, I, I think it's not hard to convince a consumer to drink a lager because there are a lot of consumers out there that just only drink lagers. That's true. That's true. And maybe, maybe this is opening up or has the potential to open up a whole new audience to it. Um, how, you know, what are there, are there specific avenues in the logger world that, uh, that particularly excite you? I mean, I'll probably, I'll probably start just brewing some more, uh, um, traditional, but I think what's really cool is, uh, you know, what, what brewers did to ales, right? What American brewers in particular, uh, did was put our own spin on, on all these uh, varieties, you know, even British and, and, and German beers, we kind of. Uh, you know, we Americanized them. We we, we sure. put our own hops in. We put our own twist on it. So that uh, I don't that hasn't really happened with ale yet or with lagers. But I, I I would love to do that. And I think that you know, like I said, hop forward lagers in particular are are exciting to me. And and uh, I, there's not enough of them. It's fantastic. We did do uh you know we are watching that evolution in real time with you know West Coast Pilsner, California Pilsner, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, you can call it however. Um, but we're watching these, uh, you know, the lines again get blurred between what these beers are, uh, you know, and I think as soon as people think they've got it all figured out, I love the creativity that just blows all of that <laughs> apart and shows that there's more flavor and more fun possible, uh, you know, if uh, if you blend through these things and uh, find clever mixes of all of these styles and do them in different kinds of ways. Anyway, sure. you know, that's the fun thing about beer. The creativity is uh, can you know, drive the conversation more than just a bland or dogged adherence yeah. to existing well, that's structures. what it's all about i mean we just we just love flavor uh we we, we you know we're, we drink we want to we want to drink things that that taste good and, and are inspiring and um you know that just keeps us going and, and the consumer and the consumer will if they're not there they'll catch up <laughs> you also get to help help them catch up yeah help, for help, sure help bring them along and the enthusiasm that you get to show for it as a brewer 
uh, you know, can also help change consumers' minds. Yeah, sure. Well, I think that's a great place to bring this to a close. GD Chillers has partnered with 3,000 plus breweries around the country and offers 24 7 service and support. Tina's Hop Oils give your beer all the hop intensity with none of the astringency. AccuBrew gives brewers like you unprecedented insight into your fermentation process. ProBrew Solutions are specifically designed to help you brew your beer. Old Orchard's Craft Concentrates have shipped to 46 states from right here in Beer City, USA. SS BrewTech has taken tech they invented working with industry vets and made them available to every craft brewer. Pactech Handles are the sustainable solution to handle your craft beer. And Berkeley Yeast's Thiol Boost is pure liquid thiol precursors that take tropics to the next level. Of course, if you enjoy this podcast, go to beermarie.com, click on that subscribe button, uh, support what we do, and uh, show us this content matters to you. Uh, I would ask where people might want to learn more about founders, but it's pretty ubiquitous out there in the world. Uh, uh, just Google founders. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you come up to Grand Rapids, uh, tap room right here uh, on the south side of downtown in Grand Rapids. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for talking about the way you old brew. It's been real fun. Thank you. Cool. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.